And therefore, since I cannot prove a lover to entertain these fair, well-spoken days, I am determined to prove a villain and hate the idle pleasures of these days. Plots have I laid, inductions dangerous by drunken prophecies, libels, and dreams, to set my brother Clarence and the king in deadly hate, one against the other. Richard III, Act One, Scene One. When I say Richard III, images of a hunchback villain likely come to mind, one that is cruel and tyrannical to his core, a man obsessed with power and willing to go to almost any length to secure that power. This image is what the Tudors wanted us to believe. It was Henry Tudor or Henry VII that defeated Richard and brought a new era of peace to England. That's not the whole story though. Henry Tudor had a pretty weak claim to the throne, so they had to use propaganda to secure the Tudor dynasty. This meant painting Richard as the villain, and they did that very effectively. The Tudor chroniclers bent the truth of what happened to provide nefarious motives that were not laid out by contemporaries. It was the Tudor chroniclers that Shakespeare sourced from for his plays, namely Holinshed. This meant that Shakespeare dramatized history and, in doing so, created one of the most memorable villains of all time. In terms of events, Shakespeare is largely accurate. He compresses timelines, of course, but overall, what happened in Shakespeare happened in reality. Where the play deviates from reality appears to be with Richard's character. So that is what Eli and I will be exploring today. It's time to look past the Tudor myth and find out who the real Richard III was. Hello, and welcome to Breaking Bard, a Ripe Good Scholar podcast. I'm your host, Sarah, also known as Ripe Good Scholar on a growing corner of the internet. Uh, I'm joined... Growing? I'm feeling confident today. Nice. I'm joined, as always, by my husband, Eli. Hello. Who is here for entertainment factor? I'm just the wall you throw ideas at. That's why I'm so bruised. (laughs) Now people are going to think I abuse you. Good. Anyway, you know who abused people? (gasps) Richard III. What? Not really. What a masterful... Uh, switcheroonie. I know. I was pretty happy what's, with what's that. What's the transition. word I'm looking for? Transition. Transition. Thank you. <laughs> I like switcheroonie. I'm a professional writer. So anyway, what we're talking about today is Richard the Third. It's a play that pretty much everyone is familiar with. Yeah, everyone knows he's a hunchback and evil, and was found under a car park. Well, yes. That that last one's more recent development. Wait, are you telling me Shakespeare did not have car parks? No. Not car parks. Horse parks. Maybe. (laughs) Today we'll be talking about the reality behind Richard III. When I started out for an idea behind this podcast and a topic to research, I wanted to look at, like, what Shakespeare got wrong. That's what kind of expired by Two Gentlemen of Verona podcast. Okay. But... Really, it's kind of unfair to say he got it wrong, because he was just working off of Hollinshed, a Tudor chronicler, who made Richard III look evil and nefarious. And Okay, so it wasn't exactly that Shakespeare was incorrect or didn't do his research, it's just his research was unreliable. Yes. 
Also, I don't know really how much research he did. Now, Holland Shed, was he the same guy who said Macbeth was actually inspired by witches? Yes. So, Accurate. you're telling me that guy is not reliable? Yes. I'm shocked. I, I can tell. Shocked. It's mostly Holland Shed, although a couple of researchers recently found a manuscript written by someone in the North family. Which one of the translations of another text Shakespeare used was the North translation, so we knew he was familiar with those texts. But anyway, this was, as far as we know, an unpublished manuscript. But as they were talking about how they figured out that this was likely a source for Shakespeare and how he may have come across it, and that was in the Folger Shakespeare Library podcast. I'll try to link that episode down below. And to showcase that, they read a piece of the uh, manuscript about Richard III that was like an early draft of the Now is the Winter of Our Discontent speech. Oh, really? Yeah. Like, not many words changed. Wait. I know. I'm sorry. What? Yeah. Now, what is interesting is that kind of plot point for plot point, Shakespeare was pretty accurate. Yeah? Because to me, the weirdest thing about Richard III is that his reign is like three days instead of three years. Yeah, it was a couple years. But, I mean, that goes along with dramatizing history as condensing these timelines. But in ter- like, so yeah, the, the, the plot points happen much more spread out mm. than they appear. However, most of them still happened. Um, Clarence was executed in a private execution in the tower. Rumor started afterwards that he was drowned in Malmsey wine of his own volition. We'll come back to more specifically to Clarence. But there were open pleas for Richard to become king. The first one was a sermon. It didn't go well. But the second one was Buckingham leading a group. I think this was in front of, like, Parliament or the Council or something. It wasn't, like, Richard wasn't praying. Oh, so he didn't have it set up so he was pretending to pray? No, but that that kind of request did happen. And that actually did sway some opinions. This is where they started saying that his marriage to Elizabeth was illegal because he was promised to someone else. Okay. You mean, you mean Edwards? Yes. Edward's marriage to Elizabeth. Richard never married an Elizabeth. Yes. He married an Anne. The, he did ambush Hastings pretty much in the way it shows up in the play. Where he says, look, that witch cursed me. Now, in the contemporary histories, he said, I can't eat a bit of food. Look how I'm withering away. Now, in the play, that was adapted to, like, look, she shriveled up my arm which they were trying to give the impression that it was already shriveled. They hit this horrible hunchback and a little T-Rex arm. Then he leaves the room and Hastings gets ambushed and later executed for not being on his side. The princess disappeared from the tower and that's when Buckingham abandoned ship. We'll get back to that and we're going to end on the princess because it's a, it's a whole thing. Yeah. Now, Buckingham did participate in a rebellion against Richard, but there were two times Henry Tudor came over. The first time was a fail. 
and he and a bunch of other nobles had to skedaddle back to France. Buckingham was then captured and killed during that rebellion. And then, like, a year or so later, Henry came back because Richard was, like, gearing up to fight France, and France was like, okay, we'll help you. Oh, it's much more cinematic when uh, Henry just comes over the once and wins because God wills it. Yeah. It's not, not how it happens. It's more because France oh, kind of willed so it. You tell me that war is driven by politics and not the divine right of kings. Yes. Weird. I know, right? So in reality, Richard, Richard ruled for a couple years. He gave out money like he had it, which he didn't, because Edward spent lots. Oh. And he. What do, you, what do you mean he gave out money like he had it? Oh, like he went on a, his royal tour after he was crowned and he was like giving money to this church and that church and wherever he stayed, he was giving out money. Oh. He was giving salaries to people. The Duke of Buckingham was practically made the King of Wales. Like he just was like, everybody have money. Well, that's fun. Yeah, mostly churches and universities. And uh, he didn't have it. Not really. He also tried to fund... Uh, a war with Scotland and France, so that wasn't gonna work. No, you need money for that. Yeah, you do. Like I said, basic plot points, right. Characterization, not so much. No? No. So, there were kind of some brownie points given back to Shakespeare and the Tudor Chroniclers on Richard's appearance when he was discovered in the car park. Yeah, I remember that being a thing. So I, I watched, I watched the documentary, and this woman was like, "I'm Richard's descendant, and I know for a fact that he was a great guy and not a hunchback at all." And then they were like, "Ooh, looks like he's got some spinal problems." Yes, yeah, so he did have very serious scoliosis. Now, it maybe meant he had a slight limp, and like one shoulder was higher than the other. Okay. But he still had full range of motion. He still could fight in battle, which he did a lot. Um, you know, so he wasn't this, like, withered, can't hardly move. Yeah, he was just a bit crooked. Yeah. Like and actually, <laughs> And actually, um, there were some portraits, one of the most famous portraits of him that uh, we have... It actually looks like it was painted over to make his lips thinner and one shoulder higher than the other, (laughs) which I think is hilarious. Um, But then there's another depiction of Richard painted during the Tudor period where the other shoulder is higher. Nice. So, yeah, fun times. I I like that they went the extra mile and painted his lips thinner. I know, right? Just to be like, no, he had little fish lips. He was a fish lip weirdo look how evil he is yeah yeah. everyone knows how evil people have no one would no one would even want to kiss him Uh uh-uh exactly look at those gross lips did they paint uh henry tudor with just the biggest lips they could find yeah he had like kardashian lips yeah he was he he had some collagen lips for sure yeah yeah Those duck lips. Yeah, yeah, he was. He was. Th- it's weird. That's why every portrait of him is just a pair of lips with a hat. <laughs> <laughs> right at the start of the play, Richard talks about how he hates peacetime, and to an extent, I can see where maybe he did. Maybe he got bored in peacetime because most of the peacetime he spent during Edward's reign, he spent like accumulating more lands in the north. 
to become king of the north. King but of the north! he was obsessed with defending the northern border against Scotland. Yeah. Like, there were a few times Edward's like, hey, I'm gonna sign a peace treaty or at least a truce because we can't afford this. And Richard's like, but war. So when he was king, he was trying to fight this, like, two-front war. And I don't think he was originally totally intending to do that. Things were kind of, like, chill in France. He was still sending more soldiers over there because why not? Of but, course. Um, he started, like, getting ships ready to go up to Scotland. And that freaked France out because there had been a piracy issue and with English ships pirating French ships. So then Scotland was like, hey, want to help us? And France was like, sure, buddy. And so if, uh, then it was going to be an actual two-front war. And Richard was like, oh, poop. So if Richard had just marched north instead of getting ships, it wouldn't have happened? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> he was definitely very war-minded and we saw that throughout his whole life it's not terribly surprising his uh family got the kingdom through the wars of the roses well yeah i mean he essentially grew up during that time yeah like he was pretty young when york first started this whole thing interesting so i mean you have to remember wars took a long time i mean yeah they went from 100 years to uh protracted 60 years I don't know. How long did the Wars of the Roses last? I don't remember. Why don't you... You're supposed well, to know things. Well, because they, like, started and stopped and started and stopped and started and stopped. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then finally ended at the end of Richard's reign. Like, there was a good, like, 17-year break there where Edward just ruled. Now, the thing with Edward is, you know, in the play, it looks like Richard's like, Ooh, I've always hated Edward and I'm gonna plot to take him down. Richard seemed utterly dedicated to his brother his entire life. Yeah? He went into exile with him. He was always loyal to Edward. Interesting. And even after Edward died, he was in York. He wasn't in court at the time. Upon hearing of Edward's death... When he was in York, you know, he went and there was like a mass said, essentially a funeral without Edward there. And Richard immediately made all of the kind of nobles underneath him swear loyalty to Edward's son, Edward. Interesting. Yeah, so while of course we can never know his true intentions, it appeared that he really did at first want to just maintain the dynasty. That's... Okay, so that does not quite match up to what Shakespeare wrote. No, but again, um, Richard does take things too far once he does have the crown, and so I think that's where retroactively everybody's like, he wanted the crown the whole time when there's not total evidence for that. That's weird. People usually wait for total evidence before making wild accusations. I know, right? Also, he, he was pretty religious. He was a pretty religious person. He gave to churches and, like, colleges that were run by priests and stuff. I mean, that kind of tracks with uh, the Shakespeare depiction. I mean, kind of, except, like, in the Shakespeare depiction, he's faking being super religious. Well, yeah, but, like, tossing money at people who can help you along the way, it doesn't make you that religious. I'm going off of what... So I read Richard III by Chris Skidmore. Yeah. And while, like, that's what I remember most was him, like, giving money 
to the churches and dedicating money to the churches and giving gifts and things like that. I mean, that's how people showed their devotion, particularly royalty at the time. When it came to his attitudes towards, like, law and justice, he seemed to have a genuine interest in, like, the morality of the people of England. Oh, okay. So he, like, put a real focus on how the English lived up to... Yes. Okay. Which is funny considering what happens later. Yeah. That kind of gives us a glimpse of like who Richard really was compared to what he looks like in the play. He doesn't appear according to contemporary, um, and when I say contemporary, I mean written at the time that this was happening. He didn't seem to be this scheming, villainous, deformed, awful human being. He seemed loyal to his family and his brother, dedicated to his faith. Play goes out of its way to make Richard fake all of those traits very publicly. Yes. Uh, do you think that's just a side effect of the chroniclers being Tudor propagandists? I think so. Huh. Because either he was like the best liar and manipulator of all time, which, like, shortly after he becomes king and starts doing some questionable things, people jump ship pretty quick. So, so once it, he started doing what you might call villainous stuff, people were like, oh wait, he's a villain. Well, and we have to remember, Edward was king for like 17 years. In Shakespeare, it looks like we have this glimpse of him in Henry VI, and then Richard III happens. And it's like back to back, almost. Like, Henry VI dies in Richard or at least his dead body features in Richard III. But when we look at Richard's whole life, even in the days leading up to his coup, he had to kind of build his case for taking over. He had to work hard at that. But people also, like, some of it was fear, but some of it was just like, yeah, okay. Unless he spent literally his entire life laying the groundwork to eventually have this coup happen. Okay. Like, lying to everyone, making it believable to everyone. Even in some of his own letters. I just have a hard time believing that. So to be this much of a villain, he would have had to have been planning it for literally decades upon decades. Yeah, he would have been faking it for decades. Yeah, that's, that seems unlikely. Yes. I agree. And and I doubt that it was just like one day he decided, oh, maybe I will be king. Who knows? Maybe at some point he did decide. But at the start, it appeared that he really did just want to be protector. Hmm. We'll go ahead and hop to the Woodvilles. Because Elizabeth Woodville was Edward IV's wife. Yes. People did not like her from the start. Because Edward married a lower... I won't call her lowborn. She was lower-born. Okay, so she wasn't a princess. Yeah, she wasn't a princess or or a member of, like, the higher nobility. So they weren't, like, nobodies, but they weren't, like... Somebodies. Loyal nobility, high-up nobility. And loyal to the Yorks. Plus, she was married previously, had two grown sons. That husband died fighting for the Lancasters. And Edward still married her, shutting the match with France that Buckingham, or no, not Buckingham, that Warwick had set up. 
Okay. The setting and this whole thing in motion. So anyway, people weren't fans of the marriage from the beginning, but then Edward started just like passing out titles and lands and advantageous marriages to all the Woodvilles. Okay, so the Woodvilles, for starters, weren't loyal to the Yorks. And so when he married her, that set off a whole thing. Then later, he gave titles to the children of his former enemies, which ticked off his friends. Yes. That's understandable. And also... When there's these kind of fights amongst the nobility, I always think of the idea of, like, new money. Okay, they were new money? Yes, and the old money was not happy that the new money was getting all this power when they weren't born to it. They didn't even have the right hats. The Woodvilles generally weren't very liked, and they and, and the kind of established nobility did not like how much power they had. They were in charge of Edward V. They raised him, essentially. They had the king. Oh. Well, the next king. So, like, people were not happy. Uh, Because some of the, you know, old allies were like, no, I should be raising your child. Well, but I, I think it was some of that, but it was a lot of this one family had a lot of power. Yeah. And especially then when Edward IV died, when Edward V was still young, essentially the Woodvilles were going to become kings of England. And like, no. So that's where Richard having the protectorate came in. And how was interesting about it was, leading up to the moment Richard had Earl Rivers and them arrested um, in order to secure his protectorate, he seemed pretty okay with the Woodvilles. Like, he and Earl Rivers helped each other in land disputes, and yeah. even the day before he arrested Earl Rivers, like, they had dinner together and seemed real chill. I mean, honest, leading to the rumor that, you know, they planned the ambush that night, which I'm, like, doubtful. But, you know, Earl Rivers didn't suspect anything. After Edward IV died, you know, Richard was in the north. Um, Edward was I think in the west northwest and so um, as they as the Woodvilles Earl Rivers and uh, Elizabeth's sons were they were going to start marching down to London uh, Richard wrote let me meet you with my army not army you know like my contingent of people yeah. my, my small force of hundreds of bodyguards well because then your march into the city will be even more glorious And they did meet him, but they went a good distance out of their way to do so. Why would they have done that if they anticipated Richard hated them and was out to get them? That's fair. Although I have to say that kind of, if uh, Richard wrote that with the intention of arresting them, that is some tricksy stuff. That is tricksy. And that, so, that's where we do start seeing Richard being tricksy. What I'm saying is is that if he was sitting there laying in wait for 17 years just to do this... Just it, it, way too patient. It appeared that at the initial response was about the Woodvilles. Mm-hmm. Richard was named Protectorate. There is some discussion as to whether or not like Richard was the Protector and... Earl Rivers would maintain his, like, governorship of Edward. Mm -hmm. 
thus allowing the two families to have influence. But people didn't think that the mother's family should have anything to do with ruling England. Okay. So they wanted Richard to be the protector and lead until Edward's majority, until he became old enough to rule on his own. Now, once Elizabeth heard that he did that, she went into sanctuary at Westminster and just, like, stayed there. Okay, so he, so what, what did he do when he met up with uh, the Woodvilles? So Edward had des- decided that he would stay in a town just a town nearby and Richard would stay in the bigger, you know, manor of the castle of the town. Okay. To show respect to his uncle, I guess. So anyway, they had dinner and then like the next morning they were getting ready to ride out to Edward and Richard was like, okay, you're arrested, bye. And then like took off to go tell Edward. And what Richard said was that there was a plot to kill him. Okay, so Earl Rivers was and Richard were both basically spending the night at manors in this town, and they were gonna go meet Edward. Okay, so all right, that that makes sense. So he was basically like, "Okay, you're arrested, picking up the prince myself." Yeah. And did did he like ride backwards, flipping them off, or? You know, the chronicler didn't say. Well, that's disappointing, chroniclers. That at first, this appeared to be about taking down the Woodfills. Mm-hmm. Um, because the moves Richard made after that were to essentially strip them of all power. Um, which he did very successfully. Because other people helped him. Yeah, no one, it seemed, liked the new money. No, I don't know for sure. Like I said, maybe this was the whole time his plan was to become king. I personally think so. Like when Richard reaches Edward, he's like, oh, there was this horrible plot to kill me. I had to arrest them. I'm so sorry. And Edward was like, mm, doubt it. And was like really suspicious of Edward, of Richard. Yeah. And so Richard's like, well, we'll take you to London. Like, you know, was trying to put us a respectful act. Edward was like, he basically just did what they wanted, but made a comment to the fact of like, well, I can see you're just telling me and not asking, so I guess I'll do it, you know. So I think that Edward was too loyal to the Woodvilles. And then the Woodvilles and some of the other council members, including Hastings, were trying to ram through Edward's coronation which was significant because once Edward was coronated he would be considered old enough to rule on his own okay and as Lord Protector Richard was like uh uh yes he he wanted to get a little ruling in well if it happened too fast the Woodvilles would be forgiven and back in power in like half a second ah yeah so that would be a problem so he delayed it, and like I said, most of what he did up until he Buckingham power. really got heavily involved and he seized power was to take down the Woodvilles. The final piece being getting Richard, Elizabeth's younger son, out of sanctuary. Okay. So once that happened, I, I think that's one of the early signs of what his intentions were. He wanted both the boys. He couldn't just have one of them. Yeah, at that point, it's pretty clear that he wanted to seize power. 
yeah but as I said I, I don't know that that was always the case maybe from the moment Edward died that was the case I don't know yeah um, I mean it's gotta things be... happen so fast well that that's the thing the uh, the way he cut off Edward's backup by arresting rivers the way he immediately took Edward into his own custody and then went after Edward's brother that's that's a pretty clear line of events in which Richard is making sure that yeah the Woodvilles don't have power but also the power belongs to me because I should have power yeah shortly after Richard had the protectorate and started like doing some skeevy stuff that's when Hastings was like, ooh, maybe this was a bad idea. Which Hastings was all about Richard at first. Yeah. Like, he's the one that wrote to him and was like, you need to come down here. You need to be protector. We need to get rid of the Woodbills. Mm. And then shortly after Richard becomes protector, he's like, ooh, let's get Edward crowned right now. Yeah, because... Plan you- this coronation. <laughs> and it was like, mm. You have that sometimes where it's like, ooh, maybe you should be protector and safeguard the crown. Oh, you want me to be king? Uh, that's not what I said. Oh, he wants me to be king. No, I don't. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Watching too much oversimplified. Right? It's like, ooh, I get to be king. No, that's not what I said. Ooh, you get to die. <laughs> Yay. Hooray. And then all the other nobles are like, yep, you get to be king. Good job. Oh, yeah, we're really happy he's king. But prior to Edward's death, there was little sign of it. And I think that one of the major events that Shakespeare has painted as Richard's nefarious workings was 100% not what happened. And that's Clarence. Oh, okay. So, right towards the start, Clarence is like the first person Richard kills. Yeah. But he makes it sound like he set it up so that Edward heard this prophecy to beware of G or be, you know, something like that. So he was convinced it was George and had him locked up. Which is kind of funny, because that's not what happened. Clarence was turncoat against Edward during the Wars of the Roses. Ooh, he, like, not sailed over, fought with Henry VI, but was forgiven. But instead of being like, oh, thank God he didn't murder me or execute me, he was like, but give me stuff now. <laughs> hey, I know I betrayed you, but you should probably give me stuff. And it's, it's, it's like that... Uh, terrible daughter on Parks and Rec. Money, please. Money, please. Like, he even received a title that had previously been given to Richard. (laughs) Which, like, if I'm the one who went into exile with you, I'm pissed. I get that. I Okay. Clarence was up north. He had a decent amount of power. You know, he married the older of Warwick's daughters. So Warwick, after he was executed, his land, and Richard married the younger of Warwick's daughters. So basically, the North was split between Richard and Clarence. Wait, 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 wait. So, Warwick betrays Edward. Edward says, hmm, uh, screw you. Executes Warwick and then marries both of Warwick's daughters to his brothers. Clarence married Warwick's daughter before the betrayal. Okay. Like, right before, but before. But... That was one of the things that kind of peeved Edward. So, but still, uh, Warwick's daughters both ended up married to the brothers of his killer. 
Yeah. Man, that that was kind of a dumb move, Warwick. Yep. So, um, you know, Clarence is up there in the north, and he keeps kind of just like not really caring what the king has to say about like marriages and justice, and he like executed a few people that he shouldn't have executed. And, like, was just kind of up there being like, I do what I want! Oh. Pew, 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 pew. Did he fire those, gu- those bigger <laughs> yes. guns in the air? <laughs> Your crossbows! Pew, 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 pew. Yes, he's at kind of that point where Edward's kind of like, I'm tolerating you, but you're a butthead. And then some of... Which, which is common with siblings, when, once you reach adulthood. Yeah. Then, George, some of his servants, and when I say his servants, I mean, like, the slightly lesser nobles in his household were found guilty of getting fortunes told about the death of the king and his son, which is like, oh. not allowed. Yeah, jeez. So they were executed. So then, like, that doesn't look good for George. So he panics and, like, rushes down to the palace in London and is like, uh, like, bursts into a council chamber, makes a total ass of himself, and Edward's like, yeah, you're done, and imprisons him in the tower. Okay, so he just sucked at his job and also being a brother. Yeah, and one of the lines that stuck out to me in the book was just really that, like, really not many other people were involved but Edward and Clarence. Like, there's no discussion of, like, Elizabeth Woodville having a say in it, or Richard kind of weighing in because Richard was still up north yeah um and in fact it was for the most part like Edward wouldn't hear it their mother was still alive so she was pleading for mercy and Edward was like nah (laughs) and Edward had him executed in a private execution again later rumors that he drowned in wine but he was not nefariously mysteriously killed you know yeah by randos in the tower that stabbed him and drowned him in wine so why did he drown in wine I think it was some sort of weird flex on, like, Edward's lavish lifestyle, making some sort of comment on that. That's a, that's a weird way to comment. Um, Listen, I, you're again, so... Again, we you, don't know that it actually happened. I just, like, well, you live too richly, and to prove it, I'm going to drown in wine. Well, he was getting executed anyway. He was just allowed to choose how he was executed. And from what I remember, and this is something I read a while ago and I could not find this source again, um, was that being drowned in Malmsey White was not, like, an unheard of execution. That's bananas. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I guess if I really liked wine, I'd be like, yeah, I'm going to get drunk on the way out. Um, Party time in my cell. Also, I love that he died via a plot point in the movie Beer Fest. Anyway, all we know really because of, we, you know, they found his body later was that he was not beheaded. Okay. But besides that, we don't know because, you know, by the time we found him, it was just a skeleton. And all um. we could really tell was that the head was still attached. <laughs> <laughs> so he could have drowned in wine. Could have. Um, but anyway, this was years before Edward died. And Edward did not appear, like, that broken up about it. It's not like, you know, he heard Clarence actually died and was like, Oh no! And then went sick and died all of a sudden. Like, okay, it was like, oh, my traitor brother died by my command? Sounds about right. Now, I think part of the reason that it became like, Ooh, Richard must have had it. Richard for sure benefited. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, 
Oh yeah, I guess there's a lot more in the north that was suddenly his. Yeah, pretty much. You know, he had to fight for some of it, and it was like his until some distant Warwick male relative died. Unless he died, but I don't know. Like, it it was a weird legal thing that I didn't totally understand, because, like, if he died... Feudalism! Yay! With heirs, like, somehow Richard got it, but if he died without any heirs, then Richard wouldn't get it. I was confused. The latter ended up happening, but at that point, Richard was king, and I don't really think he cared that much. While Richard benefited from the death, I don't think he nefariously orchestrated it. I think Edward got sick of his brother being a butthead. <laughs> Which, like, fair. I mean, you know, I'm not advocating, like... Killing your brother. <laughs> yeah, executing your butthole siblings, but... Megan, you're on notice. <laughs> so, like I said, as we were talking about Clarence's, Richard married Anne Neville, mm-hmm. who was Warwick's younger daughter. Yes. Now, Warwick was known as the Kingmaker. They fought on the side of the Yorks. They were not Lancastrians until, like, the 11th hour. And where... then they started losing. Like a Lancaster, am I right? High five. York all the way. Go York. White Rose. Just kidding. Tudor Rose all the way. Anyway. Um, <laughs> now it is true that once Warwick went over and was like, hey, I made a mistake, Margaret of Anjou. Let's, let's go back and read State Henry VI. She's like, oh, hmm, really? What's in it for me? What's in, I need an advantageous marriage for my son. Why don't you show your loyalty by marrying one of your daughters, which his older one was already taken, so okay, he was like, here's Anne. So you she, feel special, Anne. So they got married, and then uh, Henry's sixth son, Edward, went over to fight and died. And then Anne came back to England. Actually, I think Anne came back to England with him, but regardless, they were married for about five minutes. Yeah. Like, and her whole life, up until that point, her family had been Yorkists. So I don't think she had this, like, deep devotion to Henry VI and Edward that she shows in Henry VI. Maybe she did, <laughs> I don't know, but I kind of doubt it. That's true. She does go on for, like, five minutes about how great her husband and Henry were. Yeah, which, like, remember, Henry was, like... Really not... bad at being a king. Yeah. So then she did marry Richard shortly after uh, Edward won the throne. but So they were married for like 13 years. Oh, wow. So anyway, it, like there were rumors later that they were unhappily married, but they had one son together. There are records as they were bestowing some like college that they had paid for to their son. I don't know. They named their son in this kind of like official document, but they said their firstborn son. At this point, they only had one son. But that would indicate they maybe were going to have more kids. Okay. It's possible they had another son who died, like, shortly after birth or was a stillborn. But we have no proof of that. There's just, like, some indication that maybe she had another child. Okay. We have little evidence that they were unhappily married. They seemed perfectly fine together. And in fact, so their son died at the age of 10 when Richard Uh was king. He had already been crowned Prince of Wales. And afterwards, Richard, like, dropped everything. Like, he canceled the war in Scotland. Like, he was like, nope, we're done. He signed a peace treaty with them. And he went and grieved with Anne. 
Oh. Yeah, Westerners. So, like... That's sweet. Yeah, like, it doesn't seem like they were like, Ugh, I hate you! Ugh, I hate you more! Like, they seem to actually have a decent enough marriage. I suppose we'll never know what happened behind closed doors, but, you yeah, know. As far as we can tell, they were just a married couple. Yeah. Because I want to say either she wasn't in London with him or he was somewhere else. Anyway, he had to travel to her. And did pass away while Richard was king. Probably of tuberculosis. Almost immediately there were... Because this was when things were starting to go downhill for Richard. Yeah. So almost immediately people said he poisoned her. He had her killed so that he could marry Elizabeth of York. And he went in... Um, to like his council like he was so offended by those comments like he publicly made a statement about it and sent Elizabeth of York away from court dang yeah like I mean I'd be pretty offended by it too yeah so you know well I think my point is that I don't know that he would have like gone that far if he had her killed yeah yeah, it, it is, uh, if his plan was to kill his wife and marry his niece, angrily sending his niece across the country is not a good step in that not direction. Not a great start, no. No. Um, so I think that probably if I could qualify one relationship that was the most misrepresented, it was his marriage to Anne. That's fair. Yeah, it seems like the play and I'm guessing the chroniclers that Shakespeare went off of really didn't reflect what happened at all well I think the chronicler I mean the chroniclers couldn't just ignore that they were actually married for 13 years and had a son like Shakespeare did yeah but I think the chroniclers leaned in more heavily to the they were unhappily married rumor yeah and the he had her killed rumor. I also don't think he had a horrible I hate you relationship with his mom. Um, he... <laughs> That's the best part of the play, though. I know. But she, <laughs> like... <laughs> showed no signs of, like, hating him from childhood. She, like... He gave her a salary with, like, back payment that Edward had promised her that he didn't. Like, he made sure she was well taken care of. They appeared to write with some regularity to each other. And all the letters he wrote to her were, like, respectful. and <laughs> That would just make it funnier if he was like, Dearest Mother, I hope you're being well taken care of. And she wrote back, I've cursed my womb since the day it birthed you. <laughs> um, yeah, that would have been really, really funny. But, I mean, she, she apparently got a little peeved when, um, so the first time Richard tried to be like, have an open sermon about him having the crown, their first argument was that Edward the Fourth was illegitimate. Oh, so he called his mama ho. Yeah, so that got her a little pissed. So then the next time around, that got amended. Guys, turns out my mom's not a ho. I just want you, I want that very clear. That should be absolutely crystal. Yeah. So, now we're going to get to the point where... (laughs) Sorry. sorry. I know I told you before that my mom was a hoe, but I want to be clear about something. She was not a hoe. Well, he didn't say it. Random uh, priest man that happened to be brother of the mayor of London and very close to Buckingham and Richard said it. 
so he hadn't said that his mom was a hoe. Yeah. (laughs) Which I don't know why, where in his head he was like, this will go well for me. I have to say, though, okay, so he's not, like, the master manipulator of Shakespeare, but he's pretty manipulative. Oh, he is. Especially towards the end there. I just don't know that it was, like, his whole life. Yeah. This villainous, deformed monster. Oh, no, he was skeevy, for sure. In fact, we're gonna get to the most skeevy part right now. Oh, let's skeeve away. So, Buckingham was one of the major people who got him to the throne. Right. He led that big crowd. He he led the big crowd for the second argument, which is a little complicated, but it's basically that Edward's marriage to Elizabeth was illegitimate because Edward had already been promised to someone else, but before he would... They slept together. Basically, he promised to marry her. They slept together. So, in effect, they were married. Okay. And then he was like, never mind. I'm going to marry her. But that rendered that marriage illegitimate and therefore all offspring illegitimate. Okay, so my it's not my mom who's a hoe, it's my sister-in-law. Well, really it's more of his brother. I guess the king's dead. Might as well call him a hoe. I mean, I'll say it. Henry VIII was a hoe. Henry VIII was a hoe. Alright, back to Richard. So Buckingham helped him get on the throne. And Richard pretty much was like, here, go be king of Wales. Like, that's how much power Buckingham received he had more power than any other noble. Like, he he had more power than even Warwick did wow. before he died. So, the whole, like, oh, I was promised this title, and Richard's like, mm, no. Nonsense. He got everything. <laughs> um, so he got everything and still rebelled. Well, yes. So the timing around Buckingham's rebellion is what is suspicious. Because around the time Buckingham switched sides the princes disappeared from the tower oh okay so that was right yes now there were rumors at the time that Buckingham is actually the one that killed them so maybe he switched sides to be like no I didn't um so that's weird Buckingham like most people didn't really have anything to gain from killing well no I think it was like Buckingham helped Richard Oh, so the rumors were that Buckingham killed the kids for Richard, and then Buckingham was like, um, no, and also I'll rebel to prove it. Kind of. Okay. Now we come to the princes in the tower. Yeah. Which is a big debate for some reason, and I'm not really sure why. Especially once the bodies were found in the tower. I don't, I still don't understand why there's a big debate, except that people don't want Richard to have killed his nephews, but like... Yeah, he seems to have quite a few people who are convinced he wasn't terrible. Yeah, which, like... In a lot of ways he wasn't, but also, he definitely killed those kids, right? Yes. I, like, I am convinced he did. And because if I come to this point where, okay, I'm going to buy into the premise that he did not have them killed, that probably if he didn't, Henry Tudor ordered them killed. There became a point that Richard became aware they were dead. Okay. And covered it up. Right. So, why? Why would, anyway. Okay, so the only reason for him to cover it up is if he killed those kids. I mean, to me... Yeah. Okay. I, so there. 
I don't see the benefit in like covering it up for Henry Tudor. Frankly, I don't understand why he didn't blame Henry Tudor in the first place, but you know, it's just me. If only Richard III had taken villainy tips from you. That's what every other king that's killed a king has done. They're like, oh no, someone killed him. That's what Henry IV did with Richard II. That's probably what Edward did with Henry VI. That's not what Henry Tudor did. He was like, I killed that king. Well, yeah, but- I killed him dead. He killed him on the battlefield, so that was different. Mm. It wasn't like a sneaky killing. I don't know. There's still like some people who believe that the princes didn't actually die. That they like were whisked away in the night and lived happily ever after. I mean, on a farm in the country. I feel like, yeah. <laughs> I feel like that's a that's a that's a fantasy that crops up every time children are killed monstrously or dogs there were a whole lot of contemporary reports at the time that pretty much everybody knew they were dead yeah there was no like no one's heard from the princes in a while i hope they're okay in the tower it was like they're dead i wrote to home that they're dead we all know they're dead the pope said a mass for the dead edward which, again, because everybody was named Edward, there are people who argue he was saying Mass for Edward IV, but that makes no sense because Edward IV had been dead for like a year now, and normally the Pope would say Mass for a dead king within like four months. Well, so they were dead. They yeah. Were dead, dead, and Richard probably killed him. Yes. Because the timing is also suspect of when they disappeared, because I think also people have the question of why then? Like, Richard had been on the throne for, I want to say, about a year at that point. Like, Mm -hmm. at least several months. Like, he seemed to have a well-established reign. Why would he just be like, you know what'll really help my image? Like, murdering some children. That'll be great. That's fair. But, and, and I didn't know this till I read the book, so I don't blame people for, like, not knowing it. There were plots to get the princes out of the tower and also like rebellion brewing. Like Buckingham switched sides, but he had a side to switch to. Like Mm. there was already rebellion brewing. Okay. You know, and and if anything, Buckingham switching sides kind of hurt him because there were some people who were on the fence and then Buckingham joined and they were like, no. No? Oh, I didn't was like Buckingham. Buckingham. Oh, Buckingham just kind of sucked. Well, I mean, he was, you know, none of the nobles ever like the other noble that has way more power than the rest of them, except the king. Oh, uh, that's true. As I said before, what I don't understand is that if Richard actually didn't kill them, it would have behooved him to be like, oh my god, someone killed these children. What a horrible crime. I'm so upset. Instead of being like, hey, go stick them in the wall somewhere. Yeah. That is, that's true. Although, man, it, you, you, kinda, you still kind of look guilty if you're standing in a pile of children's corpses and you're like, oh, how did these children <laughs> crack die? Oh, man, how'd this happen? Yeah, I don't know if it was going to go well for Richard either way, which is maybe why he tried to make but it was pretty much largely assumed they were dead. And it's all around the same time. Like, I'm sorry, I, I just keep picturing uh, that, that famous portrait of Richard III but like sweeping dead children under a rug. <laughs> his hunchback, his little T-Rex arm holding uh, up the rug. Uh, yeah, obviously this is a very cartoonish image. Oh yeah, it's super. But sad. he has very tiny lips. Those tiny lips. No wonder they couldn't trust him. But um, and and part of the reason that I think maybe he would have covered it up is that innocence above all else was held sacred. Like, 
the killing of the innocents was like a major feast day in England. Yeah. So, like, honoring that. There's a tendency in modern times to downplay how much people in the past cared for children. Because you hear about the infant mortality rate and you kind of assume that they would just write it off. Well, and also, like, children working in factories and fields. Yeah, but uh, I think, you know, when you hear about like the children's cemeteries from the time are super sad. Yeah. Well, and and I think that's it. And that and and killing the children offended pretty much everyone. I would I would hope so. So, shortly after they died were murdered and um Although fucking it, and then that they squashed that rebellion. Although it is funny to me that everyone was offended by the children, but some people were were like Richard's a monster. Oh, but I'm not going to join with Buckingham. Screw that guy. Well, they didn't... I mean, my guess would be they didn't have proof. Pro- and, and honestly, it was probably unbelievable at the time. I mean, it's unbelievable now to some people. Oh, yeah. it's. But also what you saw afterwards was that the people who helped kind of squash the rebellion and stayed loyal to Richard, oh, oh, they got so much stuff. Like, yeah. shortly after the presence died, he doled out presents to everybody. And I mean, like, a bunch of nobles fled the country, so he had titles to give. But, you know, I mean, Buckingham was executed. Like, there was a huge power vacuum in Wales. True. So he, you know, started doling out titles and money and all sorts of stuff to everybody. Basically being like, please be my friend. But then, as we know, Henry Tudor came back, Donald Bosworth. Richard was knocked off his horse. And killed by Henry Tudor. I'm. I don't think Richard was a nice guy. I don't think. I mean, it's hard for me to say. I don't think he was exceptionally evil because he, like, he. I'm sorry, everybody. He he did it. He killed the princes, not with his own hands, but he definitely ordered it. Yeah. So he was monstrous. Like, let's get that out of the way. What he did towards the end was absolutely horrible. But. At the same time, up until he was like, hmm, I should be king, and other people need to die for that to happen. He seemed like he wasn't a bad feudal lord. Well, even in between, like, the rebellions and stuff, like, I mean, he ruled for a couple years. Like, he seemed okay. Hmm. Like, most pe- most people weren't that mad about it, but then, like, he started taking down enemies and people were concerned about the princes and things like that. Between Edward dying and Richard becoming king, things happened so quickly. So, the idea was posed in the book. I won't even say it was, like, heavily argued. It was posed in the book that either he had planned to take over from the start or kind of stumbled into this. From where it started to where it ended, he was either super, he either was really great at planning stuff or, like, he was just rolling with the punches. It's an interesting idea. It's interesting to contemplate that and we can never know what was in his head. I get that this is the result of a bunch of Tudor propaganda, but I'm way happier having crazy cartoon villain Richard III. Oh yeah, he's a great villain. Oh, he's great. As a play, it's still amazing. Yeah. I just always find it interesting to look into like, but what was he really like? I agree. Let's get to know, let's get to know Richard. Yeah. Turns out, complicated. Complicated.
And thus ends another episode of Breaking Bard. Please join us next time when we talk about Shakespeare's lost years. That episode will be up next Monday. After that, we'll return to our every other Monday schedule. If you want to make sure you don't miss that or any other episode, please hit the subscribe button. For more Shakespeare fun, check out my blog at ripegoodscholar.com or connect with me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at ripegoodscholar. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider leaving a five-star review or sharing with your friends. That's all for today. Remember, our court shall be a little academic, still and contemplative in living art. 